Maybe four years ago, I was speaking for a multi-day event at a church in Georgia. The pastor is from Mississippi and had moved that way, invited me to speak over a few days there, and he asked me, even before I arrived, but on the Sunday that the event started, he said, would you mind getting up early tomorrow morning and going to breakfast with me? There's a group of men that I've really been working on to try to get to come to church, and they've told me that they are going to come, but they haven't come yet. And I've, I've told them, you know, that you're going to be here, and, and, and maybe if you would meet them and talk with them, they would come. I said, of course, I'll be glad to do that. And so he said, now look, they have to be at work at 7 o'clock, so we have to be at the restaurant at 6 o'clock. I said, that's no problem. I, I normally am at the YMCA, you know, exercising at that time, so that won't be any problem. And so he slipped by the hotel between 5.30 and 5.40, we got over to the restaurant before 6 o'clock, and so the pastor, Rob, walked over, and he pulled on the door, but it was still locked, which we expected since, since it wasn't quite 6 o'clock yet. And so as we stood out there talking, and then one of the men arrived, and we, um, Rob introduced me to him, and we talked a little bit. Rob said, hey, he's speaking at the church tonight at 6.30. Hope you'll come. And so we talked a little bit more. Then another man arrived, and when he arrived, he said, well, let's go in. It's a little chilly out here. But we said, the door is locked. You know, we, we can't, you know, get in yet. And so a little bit later, another man came and he said, we've got to go, you know, I've got to, got to go to work. And so he walked up to the door, and he pulled on it like this. But since it was still locked, it, you know, kind of had that rattle to it. And one of the ladies, one of the servers inside, looked at us through the glass window, and she said, and he pulled on it again to show that the door was locked. And the, the lady went, oh. And so she ran to the back and came up with some keys and unlocked the door. She said, I am so sorry. The owner is out today. And we all come through the back door when we arrive. And so we don't ever even think about the front door. He normally unlocks everything. And so we are sorry about that. Come right on in. Now, there we were, customers who wanted and needed what they had inside that building, but the doors were locked. Sometimes churches do the same thing. They don't intend to. They don't mean to. But the very people who need and want what they have inside the buildings can't get to it because the doors are locked now I don't mean figurative I mean I don't mean literally I mean our back doors are open they well I, I assume that the security team may have, have them locked now but they were open and so I don't mean that we lock our doors so that a person who arrives can't get inside what I mean is that sometimes Churches develop a mindset. They develop a pattern where people who are inside enjoy what is served, but people who are outside never experience it. 
And that mindset is completely contrary and contradictory to what Jesus taught his disciples. And so this morning, I'd like us to spend a little bit of time talking about churches who bless. How can we unlock the doors of our church so that when we look out on Sunday mornings, we don't say, yep, they're here and they're here and they're here and they're here and they're not here. How can we get to the place where we look out in our church building and say, well, someone new has come today. Someone I've never met is here this morning. Someone that I haven't seen before has dropped in on our services. How can we unlock the doors of our church? Well, this passage in Acts chapter 3 gives us a glimpse of what Jesus' disciples learned from him and what we can learn from them. Read with me, please, beginning in the very first verse of Acts chapter 3. Luke, the doctor who researched and wrote this book for us, said, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple. Now, you can understand why this man would be placed there. First of all, it was a really high traffic area. Lots of people were coming and going. You know, we have some high traffic areas in Columbus where people are, at, you know, regularly ask for money. If you go to the Kroger parking lot, I can almost assure that at some point somebody's going to give you a story about, man, I've run out of gas and I just need five more dollars to get home. Can you help me? It, and the reason that they do that is because it's a high traffic area. You don't see people, you know, standing on Catfish Alley asking for money because not many people go up and down there. And so this man was at a high traffic area because he thought a lot of people would be coming by here. And then he also thought, well, not only is this a high traffic area, if anybody is going to be tenderhearted towards me, it's going to be the people who were coming and going from prayer. It's going to be the people who have just, have just come from a church service or they are going to a church service. And I will assure you, if you really want to get hit by somebody, you go to the Kroger parking lot about 1 o'clock on Sundays. Because that's when people know the church crowd has eaten and now they are making their run to the grocery store. And so you can understand the philosophy here. This man was in a high traffic area trying to find some people that he thought would be compassionate. Then verse 3 says, when he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, look at us. So he turned to them expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. This scene, these 10 verses, a historical account of something that really did happen, give us some tips for knowing how to unlock the doors of the church. First, we need to be committed to the agenda of Jesus. If, we're, if we are going to make sure that what is being served here 
gets out to people who want and need what we have. We must be committed to the agenda of Jesus. Now, these disciples, Peter and John, as well as the others, had followed Jesus around for three years. And whenever Jesus would gather a crowd together, he would teach them and he would say, these are the things that are really important to God. There is a parable that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 25 that surely must have been ringing in these disciples' ears as they walked down this road. Jesus said, when the curtain of history closes, the Son of Man is going to stand before all of the nations, and he's going to make a very sharp distinction. And here's the way that he's going to make the distinction. He will look at those on his right, and he will say, you are blessed. Enter into the joy of your Lord, for I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was in prison, and you visited me. I was sick, and you ministered to me. And these people will say, Lord, when did we ever see you that way? We, we are grateful that we are being welcomed home, but when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty, naked, or in prison, or sick. And Jesus said, every time you saw someone, especially the least of these, your act was the very same as if you were doing it literally for me. And then Jesus said, I, the Son of Man will look on his left, and he will say to those on his left, depart from me into everlasting judgment. For I was hungry and you did not feed me. I was thirsty and you did not give me anything to drink. I was naked and you did not clothe me. I was in prison and you never visited me. I was sick and you didn't minister to me. And they will protest Jesus. Said, Lord, when did we ever see you that way? If we had, Lord, no, 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 you are mistaken. If we had ever seen you in, in any of those conditions, we would have stopped everything that we were doing and we would have ministered to you as very best as we could. And Jesus said, no, every time you walked past others who were in those needs, especially the least of these, it was just the same as if you walked right past me. And so the disciples remembered Jesus' teaching and maybe saw this man and said, you know what, this is the type of person Jesus was talking about. When he told those parables, when he gave us the instruction about freely you have received, freely give, this type of person is exactly what Jesus intended for us to do. But it wasn't just Jesus' words that showed the disciples his compassion for them. They also had his actions. They noticed and surely remembered that Jesus spoke to the lepers, those that everyone else ignored. In fact, lepers hardly had any interaction at all with people because their, their skin condition was so contagious that they would have to cry out to people to give them warning so that everyone could avoid them. But Jesus embraced them. Prostitutes, sinful people like tax collectors, people whose eyes were blind, people whose legs were lame, all kinds of disease. Those were the very types of people that the disciples saw Jesus minister to and interact with. And as they passed this man 
surely they thought to themselves, this is exactly the type of thing Jesus would do. Let's stop. Let's not rush into the service. This is exactly the type of thing that Jesus would do. When's the last time you caught yourself doing something and thought, this is exactly what Jesus would do? This is exactly the type of situation that Jesus would stop to minister in. I have a friend. He's from Columbus. He was from Columbus. He's passed away now. Does anybody at all recognize the name Scott Neves by any chance? He's from, he's from in Columbus. And so Scott, when I met him at Mississippi State, already was in a wheelchair. He had muscular dystrophy. And so his, his body just did not work the way that, that he wanted it to and that most of our bodies can. When I was a freshman at Mississippi State, Scott was a year ahead of me. And so, so when I met Scott, he was already in a wheelchair, but he could raise his hands to shake hands. Like if you, were, if you were coming up to him and talking, he could shake hands with you. But by the time we, I graduated, uh, Scott couldn't even do that. You had to take your hand all the way down to the armrest of the wheelchair. Well, Scott passed away, and at his funeral, one of the pastors who was preaching the funeral told this story. Scott never wanted his disability to keep him from participating in youth group activities. And so as best as he could in his wheelchair, he would get around and participate. I can imagine, you know, in kickball games, Scott, you know, running his little wheelchair, boom, and then circling around the bases, being hit in the head with a kickball from vicious people. Well, at that particular time, First Baptist Columbus had a very, very strong youth choir program. And they would learn a presentation, and then they would travel and do a tour where they would present that program and then return home. And so this particular evening that Dr. McKeever was talking about was the welcome home performance. And so the church building was full of moms and dads and guests and, and family members who wanted to see the Welcome Home pr production. And, and that year, the, the theme was a recreating of the life of Jesus. And the person who was on the spotlight was just a little too quick, too anxious. And he hit the spotlight and what everybody in that sanctuary saw was something that they never could forget. The young man who was playing the role of Jesus was carrying Scott's limp body onto the stage so that he could place him in his chair and be a part of the program that evening. And Dr. McKeever said, isn't that just like Jesus? Every time you turn through these pages, he's with the blind, he's with the rejected, he's with the ignored, he's with the, the fringe people. And Peter and John, as they walked down this road, said, this is exactly the type of thing Jesus would do. Let's stop. What if, he's, I don't think he's going to, but what if Jesus were to return to earth and start ministering all over again. What if he were to say, hey, for 30 days, I am returning to earth. 
and I'm going to spend that 30 days in Lowndes County. Now, if he were going to return, I would first want him to make a stop in the football locker room at Mississippi State (laughs) and do some work there first, some miracle-working power. But let's say that he were to return to earth and spend the next 30 days ministering just as he did when he was on earth 2,000 years ago. What if he were to come back and say, hey, for the next 30 days, exactly what I did here in the New Testament, I am going to do again, and I'm going to make my basis, my headquarters, not Palestine, not Israel, I'm going to make it Lowndes County, Mississippi. And so if Jesus were to return and spend the next 30 days doing exactly now what he did then, where do you think in Lowndes County he would spend most of his time? Where do you think he would be? Where do you think if Jesus were to return and say, I am continuing my ministry in Lowndes County, Mississippi for the next 30 days, where do you think Jesus would be? Well, the question that I want to ask is, how much time have we spent in the previous 30 days in those same places, in those same areas, with those same people? The only way to unlock the doors of the church is to be committed to the agenda of Jesus. And his agenda was always with an eye towards those who were broken and needed to be put back together, not the well who did not need a doctor. And so here in this passage, Peter and John stopped and they said, this is exactly the type of thing Jesus would do. Second, though, we also need to have a sensitivity to specific opportunities that might come along. As Peter and John walked down this street, there were lots of other people here. Lots of other people who were religious people. Lots of other people who were tender-hearted in terms of going to a church service. But as far as we know, nobody else stopped. Perhaps this man had become someone that they hardly even noticed anymore. But Peter and John had some sense of, of detection. They had an awareness of this man's particular need. It wasn't enough for them to say, hey, whatever Jesus taught us to do, whatever we saw Jesus do, that's what we are going to do. They also had to have the specific notice of there is, there is an opportunity for us to act on what we want to do. Now, some people still have, you know, I don't think they're nearly as popular anymore as they once were. But some people still have, I see them on the highways, a radar detector in their cars. I think people have just decided, I want to pay the fine, or maybe there's not enough law enforcement this morning. Look, I will tell you, those people headed back to Georgia this morning were in a hurry to get back there. They all passed me like I was standing still on 82 out this way. I remember the first time that I was in a car that had a radar detector. My, my parents never had one. 
and they instructed me to drive by the speed limit. And so I certainly never had one either. But when I was in seminary in New Orleans, there was a guy who had a long trip back and forth to his church field. He, he served a church and would go there on Fridays and, and would come back uh, early Tuesday morning. And since he had three or four hours to drive, he would drop the hammer in that car. The, when I was riding with him the first time, I had to go to the chiropractor because my neck snapped back so much. When he mashed on that accelerator, I mean, you just felt like, man, where's Dale Earnhardt? You know, is he on the track here? We were riding on the interstate going to get something to eat out toward Kenner. And, and as we were in the car, all of a sudden I heard this beeping. I had no idea what it was. I thought, has one of my stalkers caught up with me? Is there some sort of tracking device? You know, what, what is going on? And he said, and he immediately hit the brakes. He said, that's my radar detector. And I said, what, what do you mean? He said, somewhere there's a, there's a state trooper, there's a New Orleans City police officer somewhere. In fact, let me just insert this. I've gotten one speeding ticket in my entire life, and it was when I was in seminary in New Orleans. Do you know what I was driving? 37 and a 35. And they wrote me a ticket, and the court date was December the 23rd. And so they knew all the seminary students, New Orleans police, I still remember. And so they knew all of us seminary students would go home and would not come back for the court date. It's my one speeding ticket. So I learned to pay attention to, to the speed limit signs. Aaron did not learn to pay attention to the speed limit signs. He paid attention to his radar detector. And the moment that that device started picking up a radar signal, it, it alerted him to the fact that one was near. He didn't even know where the state trooper was. He did not even know where the law enforcement car was. He just knew one was near because of the detector. Well, that's what we need, too. We need a little detector in our hearts that, that even if we were to leave the building and say, I am committed to the agenda of Jesus, I really want to do what Jesus plans for me. We need a sensitivity to be able to say, hey, and this is an opportunity to do that. And so first, we need to be committed to the agenda of Jesus. Second, we need to have a detector, some sort of sensitivity and awareness. Here's a specific opportunity to act on this agenda. And then third, we need to find a way to insert Jesus into the conversation here. Now, Peter and John said to this man, look, we don't have any money. We gave up everything that we had. I used to be a fisherman. He used to be a fisherman. And at one time, we did make a pretty good living. In fact, the New Testament scholars think that James and John were fairly well off and, and, and wealthy. But they said, well, we don't have that anymore. We gave up everything that we had because we began to follow a man named Jesus. And so we can't give you any money. Look here, our pockets are empty. We don't have anything to give you in terms of finances. But we do have something that we would love to give you. And the Bible says that Peter stuck out, stuck out his right hand and then grabbed him, raised him up. And at once there in verse 7, 
his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk. He entered the temple with him. That's significant. He said, I am going to worship the one who just made me strong, Jesus of Nazareth. Peter did not say, look, I'm going to minister to you here. Let me help you out. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. He wanted to insert Jesus into the ministry situation. Well, after everyone else saw this man, they began, they began huddling around saying, wait a minute, I, I think I just passed this guy. Isn't this, isn't this the guy that was right outside just a little bit ago? And yes, he is. And now look at him. He's walking and jumping and bouncing around praising God. Well, then in verse 11, look at how the story continues. While he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran toward them in what is called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people. And then the rest of the chapter is a sermon about Jesus. Sometimes churches and individual Christians make the mistake of falling short in their service. They do good deeds. They bless people. They, they meet a need. They carry a burden. But they fail to get the most important part of the conversation there, Jesus. We don't, we don't bless people simply to do a good deed. That's what the United Way does. We don't bless people simply to help them out in their time of need. That's what the Red Cross does. We bless people because we're looking for an avenue to address the most important need in their lives, which is to be rescued from their sins and be made new creatures. And only Jesus can do that. Only he is able to put broken pieces back together. And so in all of our doing good, we must find a way to insert Jesus into the conversation, to put him front and center. Peter didn't say, hey, I don't have any money. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to heal you and make you walk, though. He said, the way that I'm doing this is Jesus. And then when people gathered around him, he said, now I've got a crowd. I mean, if he was Baptist, he would have taken an offering. When the crowd gathered around, Peter said, here's the opportunity for me to tell every person within earshot, Jesus did this to this man, and he can do it for you. I don't think any church means to. I, do, I personally don't know any. There may be some out there, but I, I don't know any church that intentionally says we really only care about us. And so let's keep the doors locked so that those people can't get in. I don't, I don't know a church that does that intentionally, but I know an awful lot who do it unintentionally. And I don't want us to be one of them. And so embrace the challenge this week to be on the agenda of Jesus. Philip's going to lead us in a closing song. Philip, what are we going to sing today?
We're going to sing Just As I Am together. I will be here in just a moment, for just a moment as we sing together. If there are people who have a need to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ or something else is on your mind, I'll be glad to pray with you. Let's all stand together. We're going to sing together during our commitment time. You be obedient as God's Spirit speaks. <laughs> 